Hi, welcome to Upgrade Your Faith. I'm Brother Luke. Uh, and normally what we do here is we do bite-sized Bible studies where we spend just a few minutes together in God's Word. We read through maybe one passage. Uh, we think about what did it mean? What was the message that God was, was giving to those original audience? We think about what does that tell us about God's character? We think then what does that mean to how we should behave and how we should act? And our hope and our goal in all of that is that um, it activates our minds, it touches our hearts, and it starts to transform our souls. We're going to do something just a little bit tonight, different tonight. As you can see, I got, I got the big one, the big Bible with me tonight, and I got all the different verses here. The um, uh, world's crazy right now. The world is, is, is unbelievably crazy. There's so much pain. There's so much hurt. There's so much anger. Uh, there's so many emotions. And what I wanted to do was just go through 11 verses, and I know that sounds like a lot, uh, 11 verses that I think Christians need to consider as they think about all these different topics that are occurring, and especially around all, all this um, discussion around racism. I think one of the sad things that I see happening more and more in our culture, and it's not just about race, it happens in so many different things, is, is that we we quickly jump to positions on topics that are unbelievably complex, unbelievably deep, and, and often are areas or topics that we're not experts in. We quickly form an opinion, and then we immediately deem ourselves right and everybody who stands against us wrong, and we shut off actually having meaningful, deep conversation with other individuals from different perspectives in the hopes to learn and to grow and to think. And so I think it's important when we jump into these, these times in life where there's so much heat that we can think, that we can pray, that we can meditate, that we can use God's word to build a biblical perspective on, on what's happening. Because I think all of us know this if we've lived long enough. Emotions are dangerous. Emotions are, are easy to create they can lead to you doing extreme things, and they often get the very best of us where we don't do the wisest or most profitable things when emotions only are running the show. And that's not to say that emotions shouldn't be part of our lives. They're a beautiful, wonderful gift that God has given us. But they need to be one part, not the totality. Right? It's why when God talks about loving God, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. He's saying it's important that there's this balance, right? That yes, you have this fire, this emotion, this heart, but you also got your brain with you. You've also got knowledge with you. And when you love God completely with everything you are, it is going to be a wise, passionate, powerful love. And so I just want to look through these different verses, and, and I think these are good things for us to consider, especially when we come to the topic of racism. And, and so the first is in the beginning, um, in Genesis uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Every single human being you see, whether they are Christian or not, no matter race, creed, nationality, whatever, 
every single one of those human beings reflects the image of God. Now, granted, sometimes we are poor reflections. Sometimes we are not the best reflections of God, but every single one of us reflects God the Father. Every one of us. Every one of us is made in his image. And so whenever we devalue another human being, whenever we don't treat another human being as God has created them, as an image bearer of God, we are not just dishonoring that individual. We are dishonoring God the Father who created that person, who made them in his image. In fact, when, when you look at this process of creation, one of my favorite verses to look at is our second verse, which is Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, it talks poetically about the way that God crafts human beings. And I've always thought this is so beautiful because it shows in the creation of man the intent, the passion, and the purpose that God has in creating individuals. And so in Psalm 139, verse 13, David says this. He says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were we're all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. I love this because this picture that's painted of how God shapes our souls, of how God has crafted every single human being, is not this image of a cookie-cutter process. It's not this picture of some factory in heaven that's just indiscriminately spitting out souls at random. No, it says, you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. See, brothers and sisters, what you start to realize as you read this is God just didn't massively create all these individuals with no passion. No, every single human being you run into, even the most broken of us, is a handcrafted masterpiece of God. God knit together their personality. God put together their spirit. They're one of a kind. They fill a role that no other human being who has ever lived can fill, and they fill a role that no other human being who ever will come again can fill. They're one of a kind. They're a beautiful and wonderful masterpiece. And so, brothers and sisters, when we just look at these first two verses, it is clear to us that racism has no place in the Christian lifestyle. None. None. When we look at another human being, no matter what they look like, we should see somebody who is a brother and sister. We should see somebody who's created in the image of God. We should see somebody who is the handcrafted masterpiece that our Father, who we love more than anything else in this world, has put together. And if we don't see that, then we're missing something. If we don't see that, then something's not broken in them, something's broken in us. We have to have that kind of respect. 
for our brothers and sisters are created. And this is why racism has always been an ugly thing and always will be an ugly thing. Because we're dehumanizing an individual and we're not seeing them for what they are. Now, as we move into verse 3, we start to see where God now has a heart for when he sees injustice, right? Because God created things in perfection. We sinned and we broke it, right? God gave us a perfect world, a perfect situation. We sinned, we let death into this, and everything has broken because of that. That's why, brothers and sisters, the, the, the real solution to sin is not different policies or, or different institutions or different legal structures. It, it's hearts. It's people's hearts, right? The issue of hatred, the issue of, of, of dehumanizing individuals, it doesn't come from systems. It comes from people. It comes from broken hearts. It comes from darkness here. And so if we want to change, if we want to be different, we have to see that it's a heart issue. And yes, that heart issue, once changed, will show itself in many different ways. It will create new things. But it has to start here. It can't start with these, these arbitrary, weird things out there that, that are personal. That will never solve the issues. It, it's why, honestly, government always sucks at this. Government always sucks because you can make as many laws as you want. It doesn't change the sinful, broken nature, nature of someone's heart. That just doesn't. And I know non-Christians, they'll, they'll hear a Christian talking about this and go, oh yeah, you think Jesus is the answer to everything. But yes, we do. We do think he's the answer to everything because he is what can fill the gaps that are in our hearts and in our souls. He's the one that can wash away the sin. He's the one that can wash away the darkness. He's the one that can bring in true love, true light, true life. And if we are disconnected from that, if we are disconnected from the light, if we are disconnected from the love, if we're disconnected from all of that thing that is God and the wonderfulness of him, we will always be broken. We need him. We were made to be in unison with him. And that is why so many of us are broken is because the one thing we need, we don't have. And so in this third verse, which is in Proverbs 31, we see God start to talk about his perspective on this broken world. And so in Proverbs 31, he's, he's speaking to his people. And he says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth and judge righteously and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. What is God saying? God's saying he has a heart and he cares for those who are mistreated, those who see injustice, those who are in pain, those who are in hurt. And the responsibility of his people is, is even if you're not one of those people, you don't sit back and go, well, hey, thank goodness it's not me. Thank goodness it's not me in that situation. No, you in that position of comfort, you in that position of power, you in that position where you're not inflicted, you have a duty because you love. And that duty is to be right there as an advocate for those who are facing injustice, right? Open your mouth for those who can't speak. Do right for those who are unfortunate. Judge righteously and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. And, and so as Christians, 
what we see is if something's occurring where injustice is impacting a community other than my own, I shouldn't sit back and go, oh, well, it's not me, so no big deal. No, I have a responsibility to stand and fight for all of God's children when injustice occurs. And so we, we see this continually reflected through and through in God's words. In Micah chapter 6, verse 6, we see God continue to talk about this. He says, With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. See, in the book of Micah, what he's discussing with the people is having religion, having holy rituals, but they're absent of true action and obedience and love. See, if, if, if you live day to day against God's word, if you live day to day where injustice reigns, if you live day to day with sin rampantly, discriminately thrown out about, and you do nothing to address it, to stop it, and then go and pray to God and do all of your rituals, God goes, who cares? You, you, you think I'm happy because you're doing these rituals when all day long sin is all around you and you do nothing? You do nothing to stop it? No. And, and we see this reflected through God's word multiple places and multiple times. In Isaiah chapter 1, uh, we have a very similar thing occurring. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight and cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. And so once again, what is he saying? He's saying, you come to me with all of these ritual sacrifices. But all day long, you do nothing. You won't lift a finger to help your brothers and sisters in need. Why? Do not call me your God and you my people if you will not stand for those who are hurting, those who are in pain, and those who that need you to be by them. Another similar verse is found in Psalm 81. I'm sorry, Psalm 82. In Psalm 82, verse 1, it says, God takes his stand in his own congregation, and he judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? 
vindicate the weak and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and destitute, rescue the weak and needy, and deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. Again, God's saying we have a right to stand or a need, a call, a command from him to stand on the side of justice, to stand on the side of right, to stand against iniquity and violence and all of this ugliness. Seventh verse, Proverbs 17, verse 15. Proverbs 17, verse 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who contemns the righteous, both of them are an abomination to the Lord. See, brothers and sisters, as we look to applying some of this, there's some things we have to think about. One, clearly, as we look at the early verses, there is no room for racism whatsoever in the Christian heart, in the Christian soul, and in the Christian action. Right? We are to look at all human beings as God's children. We are to look at all human beings as people who reflect the image of God. We are to realize all human beings were created by him and are a masterpiece in his eyes. Second, when we see that racism occurs, even if it doesn't directly impact us, we are called by our God, by the passionate heart that he has, and by his command to us as people to call that out, to stand against it, to fight against it, and to not say it's okay. We have to fight for what's right. But this is where being biblical in today's world gets a little complicated. Right? Very clear racism is wrong. Very clear that we, even if we're not the victims of racism personally, have to stand against racism. But we also have to be clear that our anger and our passion for the racism that's occurring doesn't lead us to do other actions of violence or other actions that are unrighteous. Look at what he says in, um, well, before I get there, just everywhere you look, God is so clear to us that we have to stand out differently from the world, right? If we are met with violence, our natural reaction is to want to be violent back. If someone curses at you, your natural reaction is want to curse at them back. But what God has always called his people to do is to turn the other cheek. God has always called his people to fight with self-discipline and self-control against the urge to strike back at injustice with your own vengeance. Right? You need to justly and rightly fight against injustice, but you don't let a sinful unjust action against you give you the right to go and sin, to give you the right to go and do unjust. And so that's what we see happening today that's complicated the situation. I think most people are on the exact same page as they see all of this stuff on the world that one, yes, racism should not occur. Racism is wrong. That even if you're not part of the race that's being discriminated against, you have a responsibility and a duty to stand with them and to fight against it. But at the same time, as you see looting and arson and riots and violence just 
indiscriminately all across the country, you also as a Christian have to go, well, that's, that's wrong too. And it's not to say, hey, I don't understand maybe the emotion that would make you want to do something like that. But God never justifies us doing wrong. Right? This is where it's, where it's hard sometimes to live by this book. Because it's so much simpler to just simply say, well, dude, that's okay, but that's not. Or that's okay, but I don't, I don't want to deal with the word when it comes to this part of my life. And we do this a lot. Right? We take pieces of God's word, we apply it when we like it, and we hide it when we don't. But God's word's clear. It's not just some injustice we fight, it's all injustice we fight. And so as Christians, we have to be balanced in these perspectives of realizing racism is wrong, and we've got to stand against that. Arson and looting are also wrong. we also got to stand against that. We, we have to be consistent with what God's word says. And this is what leads me to verse 8. It's found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. And it's, it's a verse that God gives to his people. Jesus gives to his disciples as he's talking to them about the complexity of serving them. And he says, Behold, this is Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. I love that. Be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. What is he saying to them? He's saying to them, be careful. Be careful. As you go through this world, people will set traps for you. As you go through this world, people will set snares. Watch out for them. Have the conscience, have the the moral fortitude that you have done right that you have done good, but be smart enough as you're walking through this world to realize that there are always people hunting. There is always evil lurking. There are always people trying to push you in the wrong direction to get one over on you or to use you. So be shrewd, be wise. It goes back to what I told you before, brothers and sisters. So many of us in these complex situations whether it's coronavirus, whether it's racism, whether it's politics, we, we too quickly jump to one position, shut off our ears and our hearts and our minds to anything that stands opposite of us. And we don't really get to a good place of understanding and a real understanding of truth. Be innocent, be good, be righteous but also be wise and shrewd. Pay attention to what's really happening out there and don't just read a headline here or there and let that form your entire opinion. It's the same as when it comes to studying this book. So many people will see someone pull one verse from it and go, well, Bible says that. Well, have you looked at everything? Have you looked at all the verses around that topic? Did you look at the context with which that verse sat? Did you think about who was saying that, who they were saying it to, and what the situation was in which they were saying it? Because if you didn't do those things, you may find that someone has pulled something out, thrown it at you, but twisted the intent for their own purposes. We have to be careful of that. The ninth verse. 
Also in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5, it says in verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Brothers and sisters, most people love those who are like them. Most people love their own families, their own friends, um, people who are similar to themselves. What makes Christian love so different, so powerful, so life-changing, is that Christian love is a love not just for those I like or agree with, it's a love for everyone. Even to the point where God goes, for your enemy. Right? So even if someone stands completely opposite of you, my job is to show them love. That means I'm willing to joyfully sacrifice for them. And so brothers and sisters, what we have to understand in these times is it's so easy these days to form your camps and then immediately start shooting at the other camp. We can't do that. Love is the only thing that can change this world of hate. Light is the only thing that can drive out the dark. And if what we do is we quickly form our camps and then we call everybody who's not part of our camp the enemy and we hunt them and try to kill them, then we don't really understand what love is. The love of a Christian is a love so profound, so powerful, that it loves even those who stand against them. It's why Jesus' love changed the world. Jesus on the cross, dying for the world, looks at the men who nailed him there, looks at the men who beat him and spit upon him and cursed him. And what does he say? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. We need a whole lot more of this love we need a whole lot more grace and mercy. We need a lot more patience, which is what brings me to verse 10. The reason this love is important is because in 1 Peter 4, 8, it tells us, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. You may listen to this and think I'm an idiot, right? You may listen to somebody else speak and think they're an idiot. Um, you may have people in your life who've hurt you badly. We all have that. The beauty of love is, is that what God acknowledges or tells us, and what most Christians understand is, is every single one of us, all of us, are mess-ups. All of us make mistakes. All of us have flaws. All of us have blind spots. But the beauty of love, Christian love, love that reflects the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is that it is able to overcome those sins. It's over, able to overcome those deficiencies, those gaps. And it's able to still bring us together. We need that so badly as a country right now. A love that covers over the multitude of sins. Not to say that those sins don't need to be rectified. Not to say that Justice doesn't need to be sought. But to say that love is a powerful enough force to cover over these gaps and unite us, bring us together. I'll leave you with one last verse. 
In the book of James, in chapter 1, verse 19, it says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Social media over the last couple of days has been crazy because it feels like if you don't know what to say, that's not okay. I've seen so many companies, pages I follow, friends, family, what, whatever relationship. I've seen so many people that if they didn't immediately jump out day one and feel like they knew exactly what words to say, they were bombarded and bullied and pushed into saying, you must say something. You must say something. I need to know where you stand. And at the center of all of this is not really what you feel is a, a, a heart of love. But it's this rage, this anger. That's not doing good for anybody. Right? It's not wrong to be righteously indignant. It's not wrong to be righteously angry. But brothers and sisters, we have to be very careful about how we apply that to other people. Right? We have to be very careful that in these situations where sometimes we don't know what to say, we don't know what to feel, that we don't rush to just do something stupidly, but that we take the advice and the wisdom of God and we hear, we do that right away. We're slow to speak when we have control of our emotions, when we've thought it through, when we've prayed about it, and we're letting the word guide us. And we keep a control of those emotions. Not ignore them, but keep control of them. Because unbridled emotion leads so many people the wrong way. And so, brothers and sisters, my prayer is that if you're hurting, you will find in the Word of God and in the person of God the comfort that you need. I pray that He will use whatever pain you feel to shape you and to grow you and to turn you into a wonderful instrument for the kingdom of God. We need to pray that each and every one of us figures out as we look at this country that's so divided. What can we do? What can we do to heal that divide, to bring unity, to share the gospel, to spread the word? And we've got to pray that we just start to see a little bit more love. Because it sure seems to be missing right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your good word. We thank you, Lord, that you give us your wisdom and your truth. And we pray, Lord, as humble servants, that we go to your word, we study your word, we meditate upon your word, and we do our very best to apply it to our lives and to the situations around us. God, we fall upon our knees admitting we need you. We need you now. Please show us how to love, how to act, and how to stand for what's right. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us tonight. I hope that you are safe. I hope that you 
have a peace in the Lord. And I hope that you are doing your best to build the kingdom and to spread love and to spread light. May God bless you. We'll see you soon.